Welcome to Media Life with me, Matt Rudd. And me, Nick Swift. A 13-episode podcast series where we have a fireside chat with a guest on their life in media, from where it all began, their career journey, and where they're currently at. We discuss the highs and lows along the way, and perhaps a few funny stories, not to mention the odd junket or two. So, fantastic, we've got Brendan Cook. No. The great man. Well, Swifty, I've did a little a bit more researched. So what I've got, an article, few people can call themselves pioneers in their field, but Brendan Cook, the outgoing CEO, this is in 2021, and managing director of O Media, it wouldn't be where it is today without him. When it comes to transformation, Cook has pioneered changing out of home for four decades, a founding member of the industry body, the Outdoor Media Association, was instrumental in the development of MOVE, measurement of outdoor visibility and exposure. He's also on the International Vice President of Global Out of Home Industry Body, Federation European Publicite Extraordinaire. Sounds a bit French to me, but anyway, Cook is the first Australian Jesus. to sit on the board, I know, in the organisation. I would have thought history. as a European, you would have a much better grasp of French what, than that, Ruddy. Do you want to say it? No, okay. No. I don't, what, what do you call it, Brendan? Well, it's now called the World Out of Home Organisation, Woods. So, not even know oh. that anymore. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, we'll that was time you. well spent, Ruddy. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I've only done one, you know, Brendan. I, we did it for um, Mark Code, and I researched him, and I read out all the agencies that he looks after, and he goes, oh, I don't look after three of them, Ruddy. And I was like, oh, for fuck's mm. sake. Yeah, you yeah. try to do a bit of research to show that you've done something. It's pointless. Yeah. No, no one listens to it. It's crap anyway. So know. sorry, Brendan. I don't know why you're bothered doing stuff now, Ruddy. You've never done anything before. That's true. So I think um, the rest of the article that I read suggested that you started with an ad when you were 19 uh, looking for a job, and that was in about 1979, if I recall correctly. Your research is excellent, Matt, as usual. You surprised yourself. Yeah, no, I, I, I did answer an ad. It's, uh, she was interesting because uh, you can imagine today That's this ad thing. being displayed. It, uh, it said an experienced uh, media salesperson. Uh, I, I was 19 and had none. I was going to say, um, you, were, you were none of those things. None of that. No, that was the first part. The second <laughs> part was um, was that you had to be over 25 and I was 19. So I've, I'm now two, batting two from two. But I did get the third one because it said male. So, <laughs> so I, I figured one out of three I could apply for the job and somehow managed to Jeez. get it. Um, and, you'd uh, be in, yeah. uh, you'd be in more shit than the early settlers if you put that in an ad these days. Imagine that. Well, well, back in those days, you could you could advertise anything. You could say anything you wanted to about mm. the, the people you were hiring and what what the description was. So, but it is, a, it is. A, it, we have come a long way for rethinking about that story. Mm. And of course, the other thing is, I the word was out there advertising in those days, and uh, I had no no idea what it was. And coming, I'm a boy from the western suburbs of Sydney, so I really. I rank only one person who worked in advertising because in Sydney, you either worked in the North Shore of the Eastern Suburbs or went to a private school to be in advertising. So, mm. so in those days. And uh, so I rang the one guy that I knew who worked at McCann when it was full service agency. And, uh, and he said to me, oh, oh that, that's the billboard thing you see when you catch the train. Oh, I've got it now. Now I know, now I know what you mean. And mm. I said, can you give me any tips? And he said, well, 
Mr. Pippard is the sales director says he created this thing called the centigrade plan and he thinks it's the most innovative thing in outer homes. I said, okay, well, what makes it innovative? I don't know, but it's, it's, a, it's a package of 10 signs. So it's the most innovative thing they've done. So, so at least I was able to drop the, uh, drop the, the centigrade plan I heard was innovative. And uh, I think that might have helped Cent- get the job. Centigrade, centigrade. plan. Yeah. As in, geez, what's the temperature? Exactly. I have no idea why it was named that way, but anyway. So you mentioned your humble beginnings, but you're amongst friends here because Ruddy's from Northern England. You can't get more humble than that. But also Mark Code mentioned that he also came from humble beginnings. But what was your humble start? What was your high school cookie? I went to a, a, a Morris Brothers school called Benedict College at Auburn. It's uh, now called something different, Trinity. And then, so obviously when you applied for this job, where was it? Who was the, who was hiring? It was Australian posters, which in those days, oh. really, there was a yes. Australian posters and there was a Claude, there was Claude Neon and there was a, a couple of, a number of family businesses and smaller companies here and there. Aussie posters, which became APN, which became JC to Coast. Which became JC to Coast, yeah. I'd get Ruddy to try and pronounce JC to Co, but as we've seen previously, his French is shocking. <laughs> hey, mate, I worked for APN. That's my first job over here, working for Buspack. So you obviously, when you applied for that job, you would have completed some sort of tertiary training. No, mate. Oh, I used to, I had my son that shocks convinced, me. I had my son uh, convinced for years and I always remember he was in year 12 and he's studying for the, you know, the break where they get to study before the HSC and I had some mates over for a barbecue and he came out and they said to him, they said, um, you know, how do you think you're going? Mitch? He said, oh, I, I don't know, I'll do all right, but. Not as good as dad did. He got 91 and they just see, well, my mates dropped all their bottles of beer. I, I never told him it was out of 500, but I did it. <laughs> so, mate, no, I, uh, I did do one year of the advertising certificate and uh, as it was when I'm a uh, sales director for me, for a guy called Peter Menton, who became a great mentor, Menton by name and mentor by, in my life. But, um, Peter. Peter was teaching the course and he asked, there was one question on out outdoor advertising and I thought he, he knows I know the answer. So he's going to try and trick me. So I, I asked, he outsmarted me. He thought he'd asked a trick question. He didn't ask a trick question. I gave the wrong answer. So the only question I got wrong in the whole course was the outdoor advertising one. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't hurt you. Yeah. No, it didn't matter, mate. It didn't matter. So there you were, the, the boy yeah. from Parramatta. Yeah, boy from Lickham, out near Parramatta, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Famous for rugby league. So I played rugby league most of my life up to 18, 19. And, uh, you know, a lot of mates who went on and played, you know, first grade football, as you do. So, uh, you know, those were good old days. The, the, you know, the, the days when tackling around the legs was optional. Um, uh, most of the time, <laughs> it was a bit higher than that. Yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of fun. So you started basically at 19 at, uh, at Australian Posters. And, uh, and that really... Uh, was the, the breeding ground for, for learning a bit. And at 21, they sent me over to uh, Western Australia for a year to, to be, a, be the sales director. But I think I was sent there because I was the only one they could trust because there'd be some uh, shonky business going on over there at the time. And uh, so I had to in find the, out all the... Sh- in out of home. Well, yeah. I knew you go there, Swifty. You go straight <laughs> in, don't you? Uh, the shonky business. The shonky business. No, I meant, I meant uh, WA. Shonky business yeah, in WA. Yeah. It's unheard of. Of course you did. Scase. Yeah. Bond, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the, the, most of the shocky business in our home in those days would have, was just pretending that you did, you had signs 
you're selling signs, sorry, you were selling signs that existed, but you were pretending to the business that they didn't exist, that they did exist. The business had built them. You were just taking the rent. So that was the, that was the, the upshot of what, what was going on. It was a lot of fun. Well, that was a big responsibility then for a 21 year old. Uh, it's actually the first time I moved out of home. So there you go. And they mm. put me up in this beautiful, huge building in South Perth with three bedrooms, a view over the, the river and the Bond Brewery. I didn't even know how to, uh, how to turn the, turn the oven on. So it was, it was a good, mm. <laughs> it was a good shock. So you arrived there on the first day in a three bedroom apartment and the very yeah. next day you put a, an ad in the paper, bedrooms for rent. <laughs> well, I was too dumb to do that. And I probably should have done that because I would have had a lot of fun if I'd have done that. But uh, they kept me working most of the time, which didn't help. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. And that was a really good experience. So is big... that early 80s, Brendan? Yeah, early 81. So they, yeah, I always yeah. remember the airfare to Perth, I think, was $810. And the airfare to London was $710. So it gives yeah. you an idea. Yeah. Well, uh, she's a big brown land. Yeah. And, um, geez, that was just coming into the absolute boom time in WA as well. It just had yeah. unprecedented, explosive growth from there. And, of course, it was a lot of fun and they used to have a lot of parties. And it was always great when Melbourne Cup was on because uh, the time difference just meant that uh, you started the lunch at 9, nine o'clock in the morning, not uh, 12.30. <laughs> so it was, it was always a lot of fun. Um, they give you a yeah. day off over there for the cup. Oh, mate! You know, at the end of the day, the worst thing you can happen is you get a uh, get a public holiday. The best fun is have different states that don't have public holidays for the Melbourne Cup. That's what we can have more fun. Brendan, I'd... did you did you ever get out to Kalgoorlie? <laughs> I did get out to Kalgoorlie a number of times. We actually actually bought a uh, an outdoor company that was mainly regional based, and so I had to drive for uh, ten days with the the owner. We drove to out to Kalgoorlie and back the other way and, uh, you know, up, up to Geraldton and back the other way down to Albany and all, all those areas. So Esperance. So I, had my, I can remember when Margaret River was nothing like it is today, I can assure you. And uh, the best part was the signs were always just on the outskirts of the town. So you'd say, okay, it's 200 kilometres before the next sign. So you, so I'd, I'd have a sleep in the back and then wake up. You wake us up. Yeah, we get 10 kilometres from the, the sign now. So you get the sign, you've driven for 200 cases, and you say, well, we're all thirsty, we better stop at a pub and have a beer. So wow. you drive for 200 kilometres, see the sign, have a beer, drive for 200 kilometres, have a, have a beer. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then from there, so how long did you spend in WA? I was over in WA for 12 months in 81, and then uh, came back to Sydney for a job there, and then basically decided I'd change and uh, went and worked for a printing business because, you know, those days out the home, everything was printed, called Evans Print, and I went and actually learn how printing works because I wanted to understand that process. So the induction for being in the sales team was you spend three months working actually on the floor in every part of the, the screen printing business. So you mm. could actually explain every component of it, which was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the finishing section the most because that's where all the, the young ladies worked, but uh, it was all good. <laughs> Common theme, both sides, by the way. Common theme. And so from there I, I did... Um, and, you know, got back into the game uh, with a company that was called in those days National Outdoor. That became the uh, forerunner to, you know, uh, uh, businesses in, in many respects. Like when Hoyts came into the out-of-home business was one of the businesses they bought to do that. With Then they got David Nettlefold and various other things. So, you know, lots of uh, lots of journeys through that period, including some time overseas and uh, and then back in Australia. And, uh, and in the late 80s, I really 
deer, when tobacco was being banned, was when I, I looked at it and said, there's, a, there's going to be a great opportunity in the market in that all these small companies often had 50 to 100% of their revenue coming from tobacco. And clearly agencies weren't going to have 100 outdoor companies knocking on their door. So I knew a lot of the owners, so I went around and over a year pulled them all together, created a brand, which in those days was Network Outdoor, and uh, actually started the process of marketing all those signs. So, 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 so sorry, Brendan, just want to pause. Is that where second. that came from? Yeah. So, wow. so just, just, just peel back a bit there. So were you working for that other outfit at the time? I resigned to start the business with, you know, business and... Uh, you and Noel? Um, no, this was Noel. Noel was still in high school, actually. So oh, he, nice. he, he finished and uh, and uh, when he left high school, he rang me one day and said, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. And I said, well, I've got some work for you, but I can only pay you one day a week and you've got to work five. So, you know... Well, I was going to ask after, you that after, because, yeah, if you're, yeah. you're out there signing up all those people and... Because yeah. you, you've got to sign them up first and then you've got to go and market it and sell it, what was yeah. the um, lead time on that? Oh, look, it took about a year to, to get them all together because I did knew each other. Got to remember, this was a pretty pivotal time. A lot of businesses in outer home. There wasn't, when you really looked at outer home back then, it was, uh, it was even, it was daylight between TV, newspapers, magazines and radio and outer home. Daylight, you know, you, you could drive 25 trucks through it, the gap between them. And the reality was there, you know, the industry probably had about 60, 70, 80, maybe 80% 80 of their billboards were taken over with tobacco. Yeah, so but I mean, you Brendan, you've, you've obviously picked that. I mean, that, that's, you know, you picked that then. But how did you survive? How did you survive through it? I mean, that's a year without basically any real income, isn't it? Oh, pretty lucky. I managed to do a couple of deals while I was pulling people together. New agencies bought some signs, you know, the way it works. Yeah, you yeah, sold yeah. a bit, took a bit of comms and, you know, worked hard and... Uh, and luckily, my, my wife was always very supportive. She she actually said to me one day when I was get, gave, were talking about the idea, she said, well, if you don't do it now, we'll never do it because we have one child off stage. And she said, you might as well take the risk now, not in 10 years' time. So at 28, took the risk and and sort of started the, the process of building the business. So, yeah, you could have earned, I probably for the first five, six years, I could have earned a lot more being a rep than, than I was earning in the business. But yeah. ultimately, you know, it was, it was fun and we were trying to build something something that was really interesting and went on to become yeah. one of the greatest network. Yeah, well, it, it did. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, we, we changed the name to outdoor network Australia once. And then, uh, obviously, you know, as a business, we started acquiring, you know, I realized that a lot of the guys were getting to an age where they were going to sell. And, you know, if you wanted to be in that business, you have to have scale. So I backed or listed the company into a biotech shell through a mate of mine, Chris Breganoy, who worked with us in the business, great financial guy. We backdoored the business into, into a biotech shell with cash and started on the journey of, of acquiring, still repping business, but also acquiring businesses and building signs in our own rights. Um, and, and how many of you were there at this point, just say, just to uh, About 20, 20 in the staff at that stage. Oh, um, so no, that's quite a lot though. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, uh, we set up Melbourne. Uh, originally, it was just selling out of Sydney and trying to get Melbourne done, you know, from Sydney and then... Talk Phil Trivo into uh, old Phil Trivo, as you might remember, as Swifty taking uh, taking. Hang this. on, <coughs> hang on. We're we're going to need our bell, Ruddy, if we're going to start this. Oh yes, <laughs> if you just want to go back and uh, say that, say that again, Brendan, for the benefit of the listeners. <laughs> Phil Trivo or what? <laughs> that's our that's our name drop bell. <laughs> oh, and I'll give you. Hang on, I've got to give you one more. 
because you said David Nettlefold before as well. I wasn't. That's true. Yeah. Swifty, come on. So he he said uh, he um, it was almost like a franchise, I suppose, just franchise for the Melbourne office, and that allowed us to start getting more national deals into the business. And gradually over time, you know, the business just evolved and continued to change until we uh, made a lot of acquisitions. Probably the biggest changing acquisition was was when we bought um, Media Puzzle out of. Uh, from J.O. and the team. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, they were, they, and that business, WPP, were the biggest partner. And during about two years prior to that, I managed to convince uh, two great mentors, Dave Stanton and Dan Phillips from Macquarie Bank, to invest with the bank's money into the business. We were the smallest deal the Macquarie Bank had done in 10 years. Five million <laughs> investment in and nine million convertible note. It was the quickest DD by their compliance division. We had to pay some bills. We had to we'd we'd taken some paid some deposits on buying some businesses and so I was trying to raise the cash. And I literally there's the money came in twenty four hours before I lost the deposit. So it was it was, it was a fun time all those those years. We yeah. do some really interesting things. So Sailing a bit close to the wind on that one. Yeah, Brendan, without obviously giving anything away, I mean give us away as much as you like, but can you give us any insight into your technique for this sort of stuff? I mean, you're getting these guys to sign over their boards to you, you've also got the bank to come on board. Well, what, what, what's your approach in that? I mean, in the, in the initial stages, it was really that, you know, where, where was the problem? And the problem was that most of the guys who owned these businesses were family owned and generally one state. And obviously um, it was going to be very hard for them to replace the tobacco dollars. So the opportunity was there. Um, there was no doubt about that. So as you build up strong relationships and you actually help them make money, when they were getting on, it was time to sell. You were a logical buyer because you knew more about the revenue side of the business. All you really had to get involved with was then probably the most difficult part of our home, which is the property side of the business, and start to make sure that you do your DD. And, you know, most of them didn't want to go through extensive processes. They knew how much they were worth. They knew where the problem was in their business. They knew I knew where the problems was in the business and we could structure deals that would satisfy them on an amount and also, you know, make sure that uh, we work together to solve some of the problems that might take two or three years to, to fix, which are often the case with property-based businesses like out of home. And so, you know, there's that goodwill that was a, a big part. You know, in the end, I think in the end, uh, when I finished uh, running O, we, I'd done something like 43 or 44 acquisitions in my life. So... Yeah, you, know, hmm. you become pretty good after a while at learning how to do acquisitions. So, so Brendan, j- just on that actually, and I know we're going to come back to this point, but I think it's a good one. Is it seems like that tobacco point was a, a really crucial start of your career in identifying that. What, what do you think about necessarily? I mean, look, we've got betting, we've got fizzy drinks, we've got alcohol, and we've got um, fast food, and like particularly in the sports industry where I've sort of focused mainly in, but you know. Betting, particularly now, seems to be the hot topic. It, arguably, it's the next one off the off the, off the rank after tobacco. Do you do you do you look at that in any way? Yeah, I think uh, firstly, um, it, uh, tobacco going off out of home, whilst it was painful for a number of years for people, was actually the best thing that ever happened because straight away it allowed the industry to. But all tobacco ads looked the same by the time you got to regulatory requirements, so it was it was it was, it was the backdrop. You also couldn't get councils to approve a lot of things anymore. So at the end of the day, the best thing that ever happened to a home was tobacco being banned. And uh, 
if you look at uh, out of hand today, you know, alcohol isn't that big on out of hand anymore because we self-regulated a lot of years ago. And betting is is a lot smaller than it was in its, 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 its initial stages in out of hand. Again, because of self-regulation. regulation, uh, And that's the industry done that. Um, so the industry's been pretty good in the main at advancing what they do and in terms of self-regulating some obvious and, and difficult decisions around certain areas. Now, clearly, if products are allowed to advertise, then you should be allowed to advertise. And so you're, only, you're trying to work out a way through uh, doing that uh, when we are an all-people medium. And we should never forget that. Um, the benefit of out of home is, you know, when someone buys you know, a target market, you know, 18 to 39 females with an AB socioeconomic income, we give them everyone else for free, unlike all the other media. So we're pretty good like that. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, actually, I, I do want to get on to that, Brendan, again, because I was going to ask you about digital and like we do we do talk about it. Free to air these days, obviously, you know, it, now that everyone's got Netflix and whatever it may be, and sport, free to air doesn't, you know, command what it used to in the same way it did. But out of home, it's got to be the, is that going to strengthen it? I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm on a uh, global board for a company out of the Netherlands called BeatGrid, which does cross-media and ad attribution. Uh, Google doesn't spend any money on promoting Google products without being measured by this, this product. And you'll hear and consistently hear more about it now. It's been totally validated. We operate in six of the big, of 11 biggest markets in the world. So I do get to see studies from all around the planet across a whole range of things, which includes how the true crossover of the various mediums work together in anything audio and out of home because of the way the, the research, that's another story, but happy to tell you that separately if you want to know about it. But the point I'm trying to make is what, what you're seeing is that there's no, no doubt that out of home is one of the top three most important mediums for companies to buy. There's, that's, there's no question. Free-to-air TV still comes up, um, particularly for demographics over about 40, extremely strong. But, of course, others are now getting stronger as well for that same demographic. If you're talking some of the younger demographics, free-to-air is not quite as strong. It doesn't mean it's not strong and not performing. It's just not as strong as some of the other, other, other mediums. So, you know, free-to-air will continue to go from aerial to big idol, CTV, whatever you want to call it. There's no doubt about that. But if you think about it, where, you're, where the world's really going to is, is uh, you know, that almost a geographic scale location base is going to become critical. I can buy CTV and only target the western suburbs of Sydney or the northern suburbs or whatever it may be. But, you, but you're right because then you can get, you can give the clients all the benefits of television but only in the areas that they want. You don't have to, you know, it, it cuts the wastage down so much. And out of home being, you know, because we all know it's geographic driven, it starts to link in. So you're getting a multidisciplined media campaign, which we know works best, but you're able to get that in defined geographic areas. Tightly so, targeted, tightly eliminate targeted. wastage. Exactly. All those great messages, all those great words. So I think out of homes, there's no question that out of home has got a, will continue to be, well, it is globally one of the, what the two that, uh, is not going backwards when others are losing revenue. Different markets perform differently. That's what I also get to see for all media. It's no doubt that uh, out of home in Australia, and people globally recognise this now, is probably the best in the world. It is the best at performing, and it's the best at delivering results for clients of anywhere in the world. And that's a lot to do with the structure, but it's also to do with the fact that 
you know, clients are now starting to spend the right sorts of money into the medium. So naturally they're getting a real effective campaign and you see it in with whether it be, you know, analytics partners or Mutant X or the mixed market modeling companies, their, their results are all showing that our home is working very, very strongly. And Brendan, let's go back to Macquarie Bank. You've talked to, yep. you, you've done a, a job with them. So how old are you roughly then? Uh, Macquarie came in in 2006. So that would make me 46. Yeah. So up until then, you built the business. I suppose, where are your significant stepping stones? That's what we want to know. Yeah, look, I think in those days, there was, you started in business and one of the biggest challenges was if you didn't have a house with equity, you couldn't get any money. So if you're 28 and you don't have a house with equity, you're in deep shit. So the approach I took was really around building the people together, building the brand. And as I could afford it, I just do more. When we started acquiring businesses, that's why I backed all this. I needed a cash cow. Because again, VC, all those things that exist today weren't really in, in the market. They weren't mature in Australia at that time. So... It was a slow process, but it was as much a slow process because you can't pick people's timing as to when they want to sell. So when you're starting to do a roll-up, you've got the rep business repping people, you know there's the capability of roll-up. It's all about when people are ready. And you just have to have the capability to move quickly when they were ready. And so that was the, that was the way the business had to grow uh, along those lines. So, Obviously, so you, you uh, must have had a lot of ups and downs in that though, Brendan, did you? Oh, of course you did. You know, uh, you know, uh, just before we 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 uh, got the money to backdoor listed, um, uh, you know, a couple of partners of one of our home companies had a fallout, and they put the market, business on the market, and it was one of the most prime businesses in Sydney because it had about twenty unique locations for billboards. They were the first to get them on freeways in New South Wales, as an example. And so naturally, um, I didn't have the money to buy it and I couldn't put it together quick enough. And, you know, APN Outtab bought, bought that. So I had to, had to let about a third of the staff go on that basis alone. So this is on one, on the back of one deal. Yeah. Cause you know, we only had mm. 20, 25 people, you know, you get back, you get, you lose a big deal like that. It made a significant impact on the revenue you could write, not just what you wrote in because the signs are in Sydney, but what you wrote in other markets was also affected. So you had to go about, we had to rebuild and you had to re, 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 rethink our way through. And we did. And, uh, and of course that allowed us to ultimately be a better business and grow even quicker. So just on that, Brendan, mm. because obviously, you know, hopefully we've, I do think about the younger people, the entrepreneurs that want to come up through and we will ask you at the end advice for them. So maybe have a think about that through the rest of this, but how, how did you deal with that? Well, you, you know, you you've got no choice really you either decide you're out of the business or you're in the business and uh, you just got to find a way but i think the most part was that was the first time i didn't have to make anyone redundant you know i always say to people you say you know the biggest business i've ever run is the business i started when i was 28 so it was always the biggest business every year i'd ever run <laughs> so yeah. it was it, and i always found that that's when i learned the value of being very upfront very personable with people treating them as fairly explaining them everything uh, as best you could, because ultimately many of those people who I had to make redundant when I didn't, when I needed them back, they came back. So, you know, you, you I was going to say, how'd you, how'd you go like in your cell phone doing that? You're big struggle. It, it, it was difficult. Um, no one's going to, you can't, I don't think even when you do it a lot, the more experience you get, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. You know, and I've mm. made a lot of acquisitions where you do have to make 
either people the business you bought redundant or some of the people you employed because you bought the business and you have to be very true to yourself and say, I'm going to take the best of the best. So, and sometimes when you get businesses as they grow, some people have been very great and, and loyal contributors to the business. You know, the business is now too big for their capability. So it's never easy. I don't care what anyone says and anyone who says it's a, it's a fun thing to do is kidding themselves or, or they're, or they're useless of what they do in my view. Um, so, you know, you've got to, you've got to, uh, it, it does take its toll, but you, you, you've got to accept, um, that you've got to make a hard decision and you've got to make that decision. And as long as you think you do it, you believe you've done it fair and ethically, uh, as best you can, both yourself and or with the company you're doing it when you got to a certain size and you couldn't make, couldn't personally do it for everyone. Um, then, you know, as long as you try to try your best to do as ethically as you can, I think that that's all you can hope for. Yeah. And also on that, Brendan, one of the things that I noticed about you, and I'm going back to say like, particularly 2017, 18, 19, when you probably, I don't know if you thought you were getting towards thinking about retiring or not, but I noticed that you'd still always go out with the younger people. You take people out, wouldn't you, for dinner? And I'd like, cause I'd see him in the eight and I'd say, oh, where are you going to say, oh, Brendan's taking me out for dinner. I'd say you'd invest in your younger staff to understand. I don't remember ever having that conversation with you, Ruddy. I'm yeah, I can busy. say, mate, you, you, you were mm. like, I'm talking to people in their 20s. You'd yeah. have been in your uh, 20s then. Just I think, yeah, both in <laughs> Is that right, Brendan, though? I mean, did you, do, did yeah. you make a conscious effort to do that? Because I heard it from a lot of your staff that you did do that, that you, you invested yeah. in, in, making, in, in finding out what was going on. I think it's, uh, you know, I think you're, you can sit, a, a, they're worth investing in because, you know, when you were young, you wanted to hear things and you wanted to be able to ask people directly, not have layers upon layers to get to it. But also, if you recognise young talent, you do want to make sure that they feel that this is a business that they can grow and, and they've got a, a, a big future. So at the end of the day, you know, uh, I, I, I realise that you've got to foster talent um, and you can help them do their jobs quicker. And I think it's big, big for me was sometimes you just give them a bit of advice. If they took that advice... Next thing you know, they whether what whatever part of the business we're in was performing better. So it was a better way to cut through red tape, for want of a bad term, and get the high performing young talent to really to really shine quicker and faster. And you know, I take great pride to see how many people these days, whether it be in other home or other media, uh, have come through you know the processes through the business. And uh, um, I think whilst we had some formal training, like every business has. You know, a lot of it was actually learn on the job. And it's one of the challenges I keep saying to, to people, you know, make sure you, you're learning on the job and with your teammates and your bosses. And that's not going to happen over a video call. So, you know, if you don't do that, you yeah. might, might miss something in your life. And just on that, Brendan, because I've only got, Swifty, I've only got one of the piece of research I recall to say, you know. Um, what's, that, what's that expression you've got about, Fail, fail fast and move on or something. Because I think you, you must, what's that one? Oh, you can make a lot of bullshit up, but it was pretty simple, really. It was just, you know, fail fast and, and learn fast, basically. It was yeah. the, the guts of it. I probably used it in different ways at different times, depending if I'd been to lunch with Swifty or not. SportsX Global. It's going to change the way sponsorships are transacted. 
It's an online marketplace that connects sponsorship sellers and buyers across the world. Sellers have complete control over how they list and describe their assets, and buyers can search local or worldwide for opportunities that align with their target market. The platform makes it simple for them to connect, communicate, and transact, and for the next 12 months it's completely free to use. If I was selling a sponsorship it'd be a no-brainer to list it. Just go to sportsxglobal.com. So anyway, where where are you? Have you started O-Media yet? No. In, in, no, in, the, in the narrative arc of your okay. life at this stage, Mate, or, or are we still at Network Outdoor? Or Mate, Outdoor I've, Network I've, called, I've called the business. I always kept the name Outdoor Network Australia, so that's why I've said that company for 30, 40 years. So I'm not sure that's email why address I, now. That's yeah, why I email address that. I use it. But, but you know, mainly uh, I've got, you know, a, a couple of bigger things I do with that. Uh, big IT systems, integrated business called Brennan IT. Um, and I'm on the board of Thompson Gear, where the managing partner was, who taught me how to buy businesses when he was 28. And so he asked me when I, his, his mentor was, or his board member was um, the one that's not a lawyer. So I'm clearly not the lawyer. The one that's not the lawyer, he asked me to be on the board when I when I was stepping down and uh, his, his other long-term uh, board member was stepping down. So I moved on to that. That's been interesting. But then I'm mainly the rest are in, bit of uh, data research like BeatGrid, helping a mate with uh, a global play on um, called Ship Safely on insurance around uh, around parcels that you get that get lost or ship put pinched and all those things. And so yeah. that it's been a bit of fun just helping him get, get that bit of re business ready. And there's two or three other things that I'm working on extensively at the moment that uh, you know, one in London, one you know, a couple here in Australia and uh, you know, they've been they've been good fun. So I think at this stage, getting back in full-time running a business would probably not be where I'm at in life, but I love working with people and some I'm investing in and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where they go. Going back to Omedi then, you jumped to that, what happened there? Okay, well, yeah, yeah sure. So when we bought Media Puzzle, um, obviously we had to, we, we waited till we settled everything in and then we make, we, we worked hard, Cheryl Farge and, and Billy Baxter and his crew that at that stage, we worked on creating a new brand. Yep. Couple of couple there. Um, we were looking at all sorts of names came up, and then you know the the, the word O sort of appealed to us, um, and because we couldn't think of any other name that was working. Um, but we had to make the last. It was it was late. It was late in the day. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we did. The snacks had run out. We had to we had to decide on something. <laughs> we had to decide on something. So anyway, we got there, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably carried just the time. Uh, I think the the ultimate position that came about years later, which with, with the term unmissable, which I've never had every link, about 50, 100, two, eight CEOs of out-of-home companies around the globe came back and said, how did you, why didn't we ever think about that? But that was actually Andrew. Because you're Simon stupid. Because you're not, because right. you're not Brendan Cook. Oh, Simon Rush. No, what? no, no, I can't take, can't take the, well, it was Andrew Wynn and Simon Rush who take the credit for that. So, Andrew uh, Wynn as well. Yeah. yeah so Winnie and Rushy, Joey, uh, they, they, um, they worked on that and, uh, and they actually cracked that code, which was pretty pretty damn good. I do have a story about the O, but when we came up with O, we had to present to the board what we wanted to change the name to. And uh, of course, O's got two circles. Macquarie Bank's got two circles. So I thought I'd start by presenting it. We just, for a joke, we turned the O's into the Macquarie Bank symbol. So for the two board members, they went white. 
I learned I learned a very long time ago not to make jokes in important meetings, Brendan, but it's good to know that you're still fucking it up well into your forties. <laughs> no, anyway, no, that was give you a little time, but they got the humor, they got the sense of humor out, uh, about it. But uh, obviously, um, that that allowed us to position the business. But one of the keys was we had more than one product, so we weren't just a billboard player. We had retail and other things we we're doing in a business business plan that was much broader than just certain segments. And so, and then you've grown now into content and research. Yeah, and well, the content part was probably good and bad decision, you know, and. Uh, the bad part was probably didn't execute on it as well as we would have liked at the time. The good part was it got everyone thinking differently about our home and particularly right. staff and the the way you could think about it, which was, a, if you think about it, it was a forerunner before the whole digital thing really took off and we needed people who started to get their head around different ways. But also you've got to remember that out of home, these three businesses and, and probably a fourth one now, but the it's, it's it, at the very least, it's a property business and then a media business. But it's also, of course, a big logistics business and now a big data research business. So you, you had to think of the property side. And often the content play in a digital world was going to become the most critical play in opening up and assessing some new locations, but also some of the ways you could talk to local government about things that you're doing. Brendan, about the data now that sits behind it. I mean, you've gone from, you said, driving 200 kilometres to see a billboard and then the next two, very much a sign then in those days. Now it's LED. Well, data, you know, you think where data's gone and, you know, obviously, you know, we started with Quadrant and the guys that moved to Flybys and, and Westpac was Quadrant was NAB at that stage and and, uh, and Woolies. What the whole premise is, if you think about the biggest challenge you had a home faced in a digital era is... You guys were experienced sellers and buyers of media and out of home. So you would go and know that that billboard was worth more than that one over there, even though they had the same traffic flow because there was scarcity or you knew there was a different audience. And reality is what, what you're seeing is that the out of home in a digital world, therefore, couldn't get its, its, its uniqueness valued if people started to think of CPMs only. Uh, and that uniqueness is the, is the core strength of out of home. So the biggest challenge to pre programmatic and automation in an out-of-home sense isn't the tech or the functionality of it. It's really making sure how do you value when it can't be valued the same way because of the whole range of things that are different. It's an interesting perspective, Brendan, because you have an element of that in media buying where they, they, you, you're trained on the cost of something and reduce it to a CPM and something comparable. But it reminds me of that great quote where people say, oh, you know, the cost of everything and the value of nothing. And sometimes you, you will pay extra for a sign. You know, you'll pay over the odds because it is in that most perfect spot. Like, like for instance, if it's 500 meters down the road from the client's house and he has to drive under it every day on the way to work. Exactly right. And that's a, another hidden point, isn't it? Um, how many times you've done a TV campaign because of the wife of the client has never seen it's no good, right? Same story. And, but I actually, what the data did bring for us, and I remember presenting this in, uh, I've dropped, name dropped now, if you know, Junkets, Barcelona. And what they did, we had the bridge sign at Military Road at Mossman here in Sydney, very scarce area, right across the road, brand viewing, high socioeconomic background. Massive traffic. We then had a sign on the M4 motorway at Grayson, equally as big viewing, actually more traffic. 
for the CP, you would say that if you did a classic CPM analogy, you know, uh, why is this one worth six times as much as the one at mm. stray stage? Well, the reason was that when you do the other data, it was eight times more likely to have someone buy a Mercedes Benz as an example, right? Yeah. So that yeah. data yes. didn't exist in our home. So yeah, but you then add scarcity and a whole range of other uh, criteria and hard to reach audiences and the value proposition is different. So I suppose the interesting challenge for me is, is going to be how can the industry value up those issues that and all the, uh, all the buyers understand those issues that just transcend as you've eligibly put it, uh, uh, Swifty transcend just pure numbers. And that's going to be one of the, one of the keys, because I can assure you, I've seen campaigns bought on pure numbers and they get shit mixed market modeling results. And I've seen them be bought perfectly right. And the numbers just verify what you're reaching. And they are the ones that get the highest rate, the highest results for clients because they've been bought on the on qualitative issues of out of home and strengths in various yeah. areas and the distributions. Um, and that's, that's still one of the great strengths. So Brendan, one of the things I'm thinking, thanks for that, but, but one of the things I'm thinking is what were you like running your sales teams at times and then perhaps maybe your board teams or you, you once you progressed up, how, how, were you old school? You must've been to start with. The call sheets, probably not the pipeline you, you want to know and you'll understand, but I think the V was more about a qualitative. I worked early in the piece, particularly when I didn't have the most inventory or the most whatever, that really what won your business was trying to understand what your client was really trying to achieve and what their touch points were. And so you can do as many calls as you like and fill in a piece of paper, but that doesn't necessarily write your business. Well, right, business is the quality of your appointments, the quality of the time you spend and the quality of the information and your own efforts that you learn about. So probably more on the qualitative side of, of selling than just call sheet numbers. You know, and I, I look at it even in a totally unrelated industry like systems integrators, you know, big managed service providers, digital transformation stories. The guys, you know, have a similar situation. They've got to focus on the qualitative issues. So whilst you're trying to make sure you're reaching as many people as you can and as often as you can, you, you've got to do it with a sense of purpose. And I think the biggest mistake that I used to see in, in media was when, when people wasted the time of a media planner buyer, buyer, because at the end of the day, they've got hundreds and hundreds of people they can see, but they still have to do their bloody job as well. So if you're not adding value to them, it doesn't matter how many lunches you buy, how many drinks you buy or anything else, if you're not adding value to them, then you're a waste of time. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, we, we spend more time, I would like to think that people still do spend more time on the qualitative issues and not the numbers game. And I suppose, um, Swifty, you might like to learn something here, I reckon, because what about, what can we tell Swifty about what goes into planning things like these things called junket Swifty? I know you just turn up at the airport. It's an interesting point you make, Ruddy, because Cookie touched on before that the out-of-home industry is a property business, it's a media business, it's a logistics business, it's a communications business. But a lot of people, not me, but a lot of people also view it as a travel agency. <laughs> and uh, I think I've only ever been on two junkets in my entire life and I saw the same people on both of them and I thought, hmm, what's going on around here? I mean, I don't, I I, I don't want to name names, but I will well, if I have Let's get the bell out. I think I was remember many years ago, not that many years ago, but quite a few, I was trying to work out how I could explain to boards 
why, and, and particularly private equity companies, why entertainment was such a critical thing to our home. So I did two things. The legitimate first part was to say, well, we don't have um, shut TV shows. We don't have stars. So our stars are our people and they've got to become stars with their clients. They sort of got that, but, but then what I did is I, I went around and spoke to, you know, the, the CEO luminaries of the media industry and said, could you go and do a little survey and try and work out how much of the spend for entertainment by the all media comes from out of home. The minimum average consensus was 50% for a 6%, 5% medium. So, but uh, we, weren't, we weren't paying fat salaries to, you know, TV stars. We weren't doing this. We weren't doing that. So we had to make ourselves buy time. Well, no, the, um, where I was trying to get you to go was by referencing the, the two junkets I ever went on in my entire media career. And I think I, uh, why are you laughing, this, Ruddy? Over was it, is this in a one week or is this what? I mean, come on. Hmm. No, I, I think, um, I think that oh, was I, where I first met Brendan was, uh, yes. I went to, uh, to Darwin to look at your sign on Mitchell street. Yeah. And, and it was the most magnificent trip ever. And you would have taken other people on junkets, I'm sure. And has there ever been an occasion in your life where it's gone bad, where, where you've had to think to yourself, I'm going back to my hotel room now because this is getting slightly out of hand. There's been plenty of junkets, as we know, that are superb. Darwin Cup were legendary. They were good fun. Legendary. Uh, legendary. Golf trips often to New Zealand, the right people who, you know, could have fun together. We went to watch uh, the rugby in New Zealand once, I think, didn't we? Yeah, yes, from rugby in New Zealand. He doesn't even and, understand know, rugby. He doesn't even know what it is. I understand junkets, Ruddy. No need yeah. to. And, and we lost and Kenny I, Stewart at sea. I, I won't say that. I won't say that uh, uh, Swifty was on that this particular rugby junket, but maybe he was. Um, but I, uh, I don't, I'm not certain he was. Um, but this particular rugby junket um, was primarily some senior people from Melbourne and Sydney. Well, and if it was senior people, Cookie, I'm no chance to have been on it. Exactly. No, you would, you would have been there if you had been, I'm sure. But what was interesting was, uh, what was interesting, you know, the Thursday night, we arrived at, uh, it was Thursday night, or yeah, Thursday night it was. It was a big night. Friday night was an even bigger night and Saturday's the game, right? So Saturday was enormous. I'm talking, you know, having to carry some people who remain nameless on the back, back to their hotel room, um, you know, all those sorts of things. So it comes the Sunday morning, you'd think, you know, we've had enough. So everyone is terribly crook, but we'd booked this lunch on Wahiki Island. So we go over to Wahiki Island because it didn't take very long for everyone to just top up to normal. So when the ferry got back to port, the pub's right nearby. So we go straight into the pub. Now, I think we arrived at the pub about six o'clock. I think I probably left about nine. Left might have meant asked to leave like a lot of other people at different times were, um, probably because we'd had a few. And I'll never forget the next day when we got the bill. And man, there was 12 people, six o'clock. Most were probably in bed by 10.30, I would have thought. And the bill was three and a half thousand dollars. 
Oh, you got off light. I, I, I obviously... For that yeah. four hours. No, no, but so I obviously wasn't on that one. Otherwise, it would have been a lot worse. It would have been. <laughs> but go back at the memories of the media industry and the fun was superb. I mean, I started in the media industry at 80 kilograms. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I finished so about 50 I. further. I finished about 50 further up, <laughs> up the ladder, um, you know. And, but, the, but it, you know, I always go back to it. You know, yes, it was a lot of fun, but ultimately... Everyone was learning a lot and got a lot of help. And I still think one of the great things is when either side was in problems, whatever they may be, um, you know, you'd often get media campaigns that were accidentally booked incorrectly, that everyone always worked together to fix them up and make sure the client was looked after. And you never once did they ever see anyone, you know, not help their client out uh, because they had built these relationships. And I think it's still an industry where the relationships are fun, but they have a purpose and that purpose is to help the client succeed more. And I still think that is actually true, true spirit. But I, I know myself, one of the things we I used to go to reps, go to lunch with young reps for in the early days was to actually teach them how to have good time, but to learn more about the client and to learn more about the client's businesses so that they could actually help them better. So and in the so spirit of the purpose, in the spirit of agency supplier, uh, understanding and relationships, Brendan, is there any intent from the out-of-home industry to go away from the non-cancellable contract? I've got no idea because I'm not involved anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> Except uh, for so, your global presidency of the out-of-home industry. Oh, no, I'm off that too. I'm, I'm, I just go to the drunkards now. I just, Jesus I Christ, I next stop, Brendan Cook, Canberra. Well, yeah, I, 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 you know, I have nothing Governor to do General. with the out Governor of General, yeah, mate. I have, all, I have all nothing to do with the out of home industry anymore, <laughs> despite I'm my all, presidency. Now, all, all, uh, all fun and no responsibilities the way it should be. Mate, out of home, out of home, the cancelability of out of home if you really look at it is because you have scarcity of product, as in a sign, and often. You didn't have the supply that could fill that sign if you if it wasn't it was cancelled too late and that was the real reason. So if if you buy a lot more out of home, then they'll be able to offer it. I'm sure. Well, that's I mean, my brilliant answer. That's, that's my that's my plan, Brendan. That's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brendan, what what would your advice be to the youth? I mean, that's what I always like to get back to is coming into the industry today. It's incredibly complex now. I mean, you know. Swifty talks about this. We talk about this, obviously, in the days of 10% and giving it back to clients. And now digital. And once upon a time, it was free-to-air newspapers, magazines, bit of radio and outdoor, obviously, um, away you go. Whereas now, it, it, it's not. It, it, it's very complex. What, what would your advice be to anyone on either side of the fence coming in? The first and foremost is understand every medium, no matter what you do. And then understand from clients how they, they how they judge what they're selling, what they're after, what their results are be, which ultimately is to sell things. And then thirdly, not get lost in the size of all the revenues you're, you're playing with, because that's real, real money. And I think often people, you know, forget that the amount of money they're playing with is enormous to someone, but they get sort of lost in the size of it and just think it's another big million dollars or $10 million or whatever, the $500,000. But to that client, that is a massive amount of expenditure. It's the second, usually the second biggest line after employee cost on most, most big businesses. Um, uh, so it's an enormous investment, but you really got to understand and, and, and 
what really works and not just believe what you think the numbers say. You got to think about how medium engages, how it really works for that client, you know, how the creator is going to work for that client and really put your head in the, in the mind of the client, both the seller and the buyer. And from the seller's point of view, remember that the agency may be the buyer, but they're not the client. The client is the person who's paying the bill and that's the, that's the end client. So you need to try and even if you never get to meet the client, you've got to try and learn something about their business. You've got to do your research and try and understand what their business is about. And so I think if you follow those simple philosophies, you don't get wrapped up in the amount of money being involved, the hype of it all, uh, the share games that people are trying to play, all those things that go on. You stay real to what you're trying to achieve, which is one simple thing. As I always used to say to my sales team, was anyway, one thing you're doing in selling, no matter your client, yourself or anyone else, just trying to sell more shit and for the client, they've got to sell more product. Simple as that. That's right. And Brendan, actually probably one other thing, actually, I probably wanted to ask you, um, and look Swifty, I, I don't go promoting this. Um, I was actually instrumental in, in setting up post scope in Australia. So Annie Reichard, we had her over and, uh, I, w I wonder what your take on that was Brendan. Cause oh, and cookies, cookies just shut the interview down and left. <laughs> uh, what a, but I mean, it, what on, I'm, I'm shocked. They came over in 2003, 2004, when I was still part of APN then. So, and it was, you know, they shoe on back out. But then we got it up and running and we got Joe Copley and John Lynch running that business. And yep. Well, what was your take on it anyway, Brendan? Well, yeah, I suppose they don't exist today, even though they got set up here. And globally, even in the UK, most of them, except for their few direct clients, have been in-house back now. Um, so there is still poster buying specialists, but they're not to the same degree that they were previously. And in the UK, I think it's, um, it's not growing the way that it, other countries are not because is because there was a whole three, four, five decades of agency people who didn't get involved in buying out a home. They were passing it over to one specialist. And the consequence of that is there's less planning. So the agency, the client, the our own companies are having to spend more time with other people in agencies now to educate them and clients about the medium than ever before. Place to buying specialists were fine with when, you know, uh, if they were adding value, where it becomes tougher was when they're not adding value. Um, and I have that debate with many of the guys in the UK. Over the years, there were good mates who run and own poster buying specialists. But I think the good ones in that area now have got that down pat because they know they could be disimmediated by by programmatic and automated industries. So they need they need to actually get better. But the funny thing is, Brendan, um, if you like data, like you, you talk about, um, what Swifty and I are quickly realizing, that the data that sits behind media life, already we like six, seven episodes in, most people, the, the next job from working behind the bar was to go into media and they, that was a step up for them. So they had no idea what they were doing. Half of them got no idea what they're doing now, quite frankly. And if they've got a, if they've got a promotion, then, you know, they need their team behind them because they can't switch their computer on. So it's. Because it was by accident. Yeah. By accident. So yeah, it was funny. It, it's funny, you know, when you stop running a business and you start helping people and just consulting to them on, on bigger issues. I have one rule with all the clients I work with. I don't write a report because if I can't ask you a lot of questions and you can't answer them and you don't listen, then there's no, what's the point of a report? <laughs> I like that. that. I like that. 
<laughs> I might, might, of all the things you could say about Brendan Cook, I won't write a report would be a good one. Based on, you know, as we know, all the best campaigns that come from within agencies or with, from the other home people working with agencies often start with one simple premise and everyone works collaboratively together. And they're the ones we always see talked about, you know, but that's how it all, it's all, it all, it all really starts. It's, it's got to start from collaboration. And so if I was talking to young people today, you know, don't get locked behind the screens may be efficient, but ultimately you've got to build relationships because the great stuff comes from conversations where one thing could be said and that one thing could be the gem that either wins you a lot of business or helps a client change their thinking or whatever it may be. So, um, those that want to, to just think you can build relationships on screens are in deep trouble. Screens are for when you've got long-standing relationships, not for when you haven't got them. Go and, go and meet people and try and work it. And the biggest complaint I've had both UK, US, uh, both from agency people and media, uh, and, and Australia is that, that it's so hard to get to people now, both at agencies and clients to actually talk to people. Yep. Uh, and, and meet face to face and have a really good discussion and learn from each other. Yep. And I think that's, that's, I'm sure it'll be solved, but that's a consequence that everyone's got to work on are much stronger than they're doing now. It's no coincidence that Zoom, who created all these things, uh, Zoom got their tech people back in the office three to four days a week because they weren't getting the outcomes of all too slow and unproductive. And there's right. no question that we are less productive today than ever before. It doesn't mean we don't need flexibility. Flexibility is great, but it's not, I don't work Monday and Friday. That's not flexibility. That's just taking the mickey. Couldn't agree more, Brendan. And, and I think especially on this side of the fence, I'm getting sales side of the fence. You need like a good sales team needs to be in and around each other. They need to be, like you said earlier, bouncing off each other in together. How do we do this? How do we solve that agency issue? What do we do? Blah, blah, blah. I think that's, that is hundred percent key. In London, I was at a meeting and, uh, very, very wealthy guy. I've been there. to London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I was in, I had to go to France for something that was on over there. Um, rugby. Anyway, uh, um, so I made sure we did some work as well. But, uh, and he was, he told the story. Shocking. We had a meeting at five o'clock in the afternoon and he had a contract issue. He wanted to. Fucking what? Meeting. Five o'clock in the afternoon? Well, to go to the pubs at 5.30. Oh, so right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I misunderstood. Yeah. yeah. Warm beer. Yeah. So. Actually, probably four thirty. I think in the UK they go to the pub much earlier than we do here. Anyway, they um, and he said he walked out to ask his, his guy that's always in the office with him, always, and he wasn't there. So he, ring, he rings him and he got his voicemail and he left me. He says, "I want to know the answer to this question." Now the guy legitimately was working from home that day because you know he had a family issue, which is great. Flexibility, the way it should work. But that what would have taken him thirty-five seconds in the end took it. All these misengagements between the two of them and, and an hour and a half of his brain, whatever, having this other issue in his mind when it could have all been solved in 35 seconds. And that's, I think, what people forget. That's where, and that is, those instances of productivity are probably 20% of everyone's day. And that's what's being missed at the moment. Well, yeah, Steve Fagan touched on this in his episode with his Media Republic episode. Oh, yes. sorry, Ding. <laughs> with his uh, episode. Uh, knowledge sharing, getting yeah. people in, getting them there, getting them engaged and sharing knowledge and experience. Yeah. If I said, um, Brendan, like, so, cause obviously you, you've had 40 years in, in the media industry, 
if I said to you, you could pick a decade, it could be 28 to 38, it could be 38 to 40, it could be 25, it could be 30 to 40. It's pretty easy because I was born in 1960, so everything's a decade when it starts, so it's really easy for me. Mm. <laughs> okay. But I think the uh, my favourite decade was definitely 2000 to 2010. Um, I'm, I'm saying that, however, the starting in advertising uh, in late 70s and being in advertising in the 80s, the 80s was the most fun. Um, I remember my first ever business lunch, and by the way, being a boy from Western Suburbs, it was only the second time I'd been to a restaurant in my life. I'd met this client at a function, and I was 19 years of age, and I had to use her own credit card, and I had $500 limit, which sounds a lot of money, but uh, it doesn't sound like a lot of money. Back then, it was a fortune. I thought that's going to, that, and then you had to put your bill in. And I met this guy at the function and he said, well, I'm the media director of, uh, of a particular FMCG company, record, record, Coleman League it was back then. Why don't we buy you lunch and I can tell you how out of home can get put on, or outdoor can be put on the agenda for FMCG companies. We go to this place called Stoddard and Alice in Crozeness. Oh, I love that. We get there at 12.30. Um, the, the, um, and so he orders the wine. Blah, blah. We drink till five o'clock. I'm smashed. This is unbelievable. The bill comes out. It was $498. I had $500 limit. So I had to pay. So imagine this is 1979. So I paid my bill. So I go back to the office. We were over in Waterloo in those days of the business. I went to walk in the front door. I hit the front door with a glass of the front door and nearly knocked the roof out. I fell off, got to my desk, fell off my chair. And Mr. Pippo goes, you've given this young 19-year-old a go. And he's in his first business, lunch he's come back absolutely legless, couldn't, couldn't talk. He says, Brendan, can you come into my office? Everyone else is killing them, sort of laughing. You know, it was the old days where management is around the outside, the rest of us were in the middle. I go to walk into his office with the glass petitioning and I hit the wall and it pops out. His whole glass thing pops out. <laughs> I go to sit on the chair, I go to Quality. The chair in front of him and I fall off the chair. And he sees opening words when I got back onto the chair behind me. This is hanging off. People everywhere killing themselves laughing. This is the funniest thing they've ever seen. And he says to me, what went wrong with your lunch? And I was smart enough, even though like this, I said to him, is that a trick question, Mr. Pippard? And he says, yes. Well, Brendan, normally when we go to lunch with people, we end up going to dinner. So you didn't upset him. So that's why you weren't at dinner. <laughs> now, that's, <laughs> how the, that's how the AD started. <laughs> Is he cross with you because you're not at another restaurant spending another about 500 bucks of our money? Yeah. <laughs> Probably the client has rung him and said, well, I mean, it, everything was going, everything was going great until Brendan went back to the office. <laughs> the best part of his story was in those days, the guy who checked the invoices from the agency at records was title was the media director. No idea. Didn't know anything. But he was getting every rep that he made at a function that he was invited to because he'd pay the bills. He was getting them all to buy him lunch. <laughs> <laughs> he was the credit control. He was in charge of accounts. Checking boxes on paying bills. Hey, another one, Brendan, that we ask um, people uh, occasionally, we should actually remember to do it, Swifty, more often, is if you won an award, and I know you've won lots of awards, do you have a favourite song that you'd like to go up and hear that song when you when you got the award? I mean, like Father of the Industry. I mean, who's your daddy? I mean, I don't know what is it. Oh, no, mate. Uh, 
as my family know and the others know, it would be very simple. It would be a good old cold chisel working, or old Jimmy Barnes, working class man. That's as simple as working that. Working class man. You know, Brilliant. And that's yeah. the one that uh, played. That was the way I looked at it in life. Is there anything you'd like to finish on, Brendan? I can tell you, I want everyone to understand that the greatest disgrace that happens in your life is when you don't have an expense account anymore. So while you've got it, enjoy it. <laughs> to catch up, guys. Hey, Brendan, thank you so much Good for your time, you. Brendan. You. I've, I've loved that, and uh, really, we really appreciate it. Swifty, wouldn't it be wonderful to get a diverse range of media people on our podcast to share their stories? Whether you've been in the industry for a short or long period of time, what do you think, Swifty? Oh, I totally agree, my friend. A great range of perspectives is always valued, and anyone with a great story is welcome, and that's pretty much everyone in this game. Yeah, agreed. So if you're interested in coming on the podcast, I'll use the sponsor's email address they've given me, which is matt.rudd at sportsxglobal.com. Drop us your name and number, and we'll contact you and set up a time. Thanks for listening. Till next week, it's goodbye from me. And thank you and goodbye.